Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the December 4, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. Today is the special election for Georgia's Secretary of State. Know someone, say someone. Say someone else should vote if they live there. Oh, and Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and North Carolina lame duck legislatures are trying trying to trim the sails of the new incoming leadership, some of it pertaining to voters' rights. I'm calling it out. Your friends in any of those states are welcome to do the same. This week, delegations from countries all over the world are meeting in Poland for the Conference of the Parties at COP24, the United Nations International Climate Change Conference. It's a crucial opportunity for countries to hammer out technical agreements governing the 2015 Paris Climate Accord, but the U.S. is largely sitting it out, envisioning that uh, Governor Brown's got personnel on deck as many of the sub-nationals that are participating this week. Today, we'll tack on to some of those themes with Citizens Climate Lobby's Mark Tabert and Kathy Orlinski, but before they take stabs at the latest heady news, we'll hear from Brooke Adams, Organizing Director for the Student Action with the People's Action Institute, and UCI Organizing Students Lorraine Nance and Cassia. They've been in the electoral trenches at UCI with some amazing outcomes to show for it. And they're not done doing this work either. Be right back, everybody, with us after the short station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, everyone. I've got, I've got a stunning lineup for the first segment. My guests are Brooke Adams, Organizing Director for Student Action with People's Action Institute and Organizing Students, both from UCI, Lorraine, Nance, and Cass. Yep. A little bit about each one of these ladies. Brooke Adams is the Organizing Director for Student Action, a constituency got that everybody organizing project of people's action that worked on five congressional races in the 2018 midterm elections originally from seattle brooke began organizing at the university of chicago student action she took a semester off in 2016 to work as a field organizer on the bernie sanders campaign first in new hampshire and then on to illinois brooke completed a bachelor's in math at the university of chicago and has since been working with the student action to build a national campaign for free college for all. She's been working on issue campaigns, including free colleges, which is called out, universal health care, immigration justice, and a world where all people can live with dignity and justice, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, disabilities, geographies, citizenship status, criminal record, or uh, incarceration status. In the five weeks leading up to the midterm election, Brooke was in Orange County with UC Irvine student action members where she helped build a program engaging over, and write this down for the times, for the ages 27,000 students around Katie Porter's race. My next guest is Cass Yip, born in the desert of Arizona. It's, that sounded so biblical when she described that to me. But mainly raised in Florida, Cass grew up with hurricanes every year with the attendant severe rain. She came to UCI to be closer to her father and for UCI's renowned biology program. She moved here and started working on her two degrees, criminology, law, and society, and as well the bioscience program biochemistry and molecular biology. It's now her fourth year, and all this time, she wasn't really involved in anything until she found California Student Action. Another student brought me into the fold by canvas, simply canvassing her, and then she was hooked. Lorraine Nance, our third and guest in the segment, is a freshman majoring in political science and participates in UCI track and field team. She hails from Marietta, California, and has always been politically active. She will be appointed to social chair in charge of organizing social events, fundraisers, outreach programs, and socials, organizing in all its stripes. Lorraine and Cass continue to grow student action on the campus, and we'll get to that today. Lorraine and Cass join me in studio, and Brooke comes to us from Seattle, Washington. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Brooke, Lorraine, and Cass. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Claudia. Well, I'm. Thank you, all of you, 
Um, we got to get voice prints here. So this is Lorraine's voice. Hi. That's Lorraine. And here's Cass. Hey. So what, let's start. We always have to start with these classic general queries about a little bit about people's campaign. Brooke, your charter and when you stepped into the 45th. And so and the, what kinds of resources and expertise you provided here? Yeah, so um, People's Action is a national organization that's working on a variety of different issue campaigns, and we largely work with different grassroots organizations across the country um, that are really supporting different progressive causes and building towards having statewide power that we can yield. Um, And so, you know, coming into the 45th Congressional District, we're really excited to work with some of the students there who had shown interest before in building a free college campaign with us. And one of the things that we really do provide is a lot of training and leadership development so that we can build out local iterations of our different national campaigns. So, you know, we really hit the ground running with, uh, first and foremost, it was canvassing trainings to get canvas teams built up. Um, And one of the really exciting things about the team that we built in UC Irvine is that over half of our team actually came from people who were originally canvassed by our first few folks who were, you know, really excited to just hit the ground. And from there, we just really brought people in through some trainings, through um, different leadership roles that people held, um, and supported people one-on-one throughout the program in order to hit our goals and get Katie elected and also think about building out a longer-term issue campaign in California to win free college for all. So there were a good deal of them that were rated for you, and that was the the talent was just they were glad to see you, perhaps, Brooke. One student who uh, came to one of our trainings all the way up in Santa Cruz almost a year ago um, who had met some of our folks at UCSC, and he had been, you know, like um, really interested in the free college campaign and was really excited to start building with us. Okay. Yes, Lorraine? Yeah, I was definitely very excited to learn about student action that was happening on campus just because it allowed me to be more politically involved, especially during the climate of the midterm elections and what was happening currently in the nation. So I jumped at the opportunity. So I'm going to use your tra- a track analogy then. So who ha- who passed the baton on to whom? You to, to Brooke or did Brooke pass it on you? She found you first in this kind of track analogy. Did you find her first or did she find you? I actually discovered Brooke through a friend. Ta-da. Okay. (laughs) You passed the baton on her. Like, get, okay. And Cass? Honestly, I was, um, I was originally, um, I was canvassed by another member of our organization and it, it, I wasn't even thinking about joining at first. I was kind of like on my way to work. And then (laughs) the more I thought about it, the more I realized, Hey, like I've been feeling so hopeless around this, this election that I wanted to actually do something. I wanted to feel like I was involved. And so I reached out um, to Brooke and I I said, Hey, I want to be a part of this. And I was immediately brought on and it was the best decision I've made. Wow. All right. Well, the recent campaign, let's talk a little bit about the the training and the motivation. We talked a little bit about motivation, the people were ready to be asked, and some of the interactions out. Nationwide organizing led to more than a million conversations. I'm quoting some of the stuff that Brooks posted. A million conversations with urban and rural voters. I'm quoting Brooke here. Unlike traditional campaigning, we engage students around the issues first, particularly around free college for all, as you just told us. And you talk to students about how they not only participate in a historic race that could flip one of the country's most conservative counties, but also join a long-term fight for education justice. So some of us who've been active, it's not about me, I'm talking about people in the 45th, in Orange County, people that live right here adjacent to UC Irvine, we've been wanting for years to see the lowest hanging fruit there is, all the students in one place to turn out and vote. So let's talk about... Uh, a little bit about the training, or maybe there there wasn't, uh, to what extent was training necessary to get you running out there? Honestly, we kind of were thrown right into it. We didn't have a lot of time, so we 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 didn't get a lot of training. I and I knew that from the start. But um, you know, all of us who were involved are very like friendly people, anyways. So we just immediately started canvassing. We had a little bit of training with Brooke herself. Um, uh-huh. She gave us like some instructions and a script, and then we were just sent out to go. And that that was actually a really um, an opportunity for growth for all for a lot of us because uh, a lot of us didn't really have experience in going out and just talking to strangers like that and so doing that was actually really really um it was it felt good to do that 
So, um, Brooke, you were talking in preparation that there there's some sort of barriers to getting those conversations going, that there's now very secured residences on campus so that maybe you can talk to it and Lorraine can talk to how you were able to cross over that threshold because where the real action was happening was when it was face-to-face. It was not a digital conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, there are two big barriers that we faced. The first is that It is challenging to actually engage students if you approach them and just say first and foremost, like, hey, are you registered to vote? Or like, hey, are you planning to turn out? Um, Because I think a lot of the campus programs that are built for voter engagement are fairly transactional and, you know, are about just like getting students out to vote. And people are sick of just hearing the same question over and over again. So I think one of the things that really helped us break the ice with people in conversations was to lead with the issues and lead with the thing that really did speak to the personal stake of students who wanted to get involved. Um, so for example, in every single conversation, you know, the first thing that we asked people was, hey, do you support making college free in California? And we really tried to stay and like listen and have deep conversations with people about why this issue may or may not appeal to them. And that was our hook rather than just asking them about voting itself. Um, And I think the second thing that was really important for us is that um, we were just really scrappy with trying to get into places that are hard to get into in order to canvas. Um, And, you know, one of the examples that you brought up, Claudia, of the uh, residence halls is totally accurate. Um, You know, they're locked for the most part if you're not a resident there. And so we actually, you know, used different tactics to get in. For example, one of our canvassers actually texted all of his friends to um, get us into the dorms. And that way we were actually able to have conversations with people who had not been canvassed before and were in really hard to access areas um, and engage them around the race and talk to them about free college. Puts a new definition with residents with benefits. (laughs) Text Yes, Lorraine, you were going to say. Oh, yeah. To add on to what um, Cass and Brooke both said, and just real quick, I would like to clarify that. Yes. Cass's pronouns are they, them, theirs, just for the sake of the radio station and the show going on. Um, But to add on to what both of them said, it was definitely difficult for us to get into certain places. um, And it was difficult approaching people in conversations as well. The truth of the matter is a lot of people aren't excited about voting. They're not excited about, you know, what's going on. They may say they are, but if you were to go up to them and start a conversation like that, you can't do that. I mean, you can, but it's definitely difficult to go from there and get to the points that we needed to address. And there was a script. I didn't really follow that script. I'm going to keep it a buck 50. I didn't because I I knew. (laughs) I knew what it took, you know, to get people to start a conversation. So... Yeah. I so mean, do you, like, you get it about keep it at about eighty five, a buck fifty. Okay. No, no, but up to eighty five to keep it real. Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I keep it one hundred. Okay. Good. Good. Well, that's where we're gonna stay today. <laughs> so I I, I totally feel that with um with how with having con- starting conversations being hard, and that's why we did lead with the issues. I mean, I'd walk up to people and they'd immediately say, "I'm voting. I'm registered." and then like turn away and I, I had a group of six people actually do that but then I stopped and I was like hey well um how do you guys feel about college being free and they 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 turned back to me and was like well I mean that'd be awesome but that's that's too ideal and so um I just started having I started a conversation with them about free college and why it meant so much to them I mean one of them they their sister actually had to drop out of college because they couldn't afford it anymore and their parents were already supporting them so it was hard for for both of them to get that education and I I want everybody to be able to afford a higher education I want everybody to have this access to this basic right so while you're interacting then with students to what extent were they acquainted with the incumbent Mimi Walters? Very minimal people were actually informed to that point. I mean, as much as Katie Porter's name was floating around the school, a lot of people still didn't even know who she was. So that just shows, you know, even if you're really active or involved in a particular area, there are still those certain individuals that may not even know what's going on. And that's why what we're doing is so important. That, that was Lorraine. This is Cass. Yeah, and I, I totally feel like um, knowledge and, and uh, teaching them about who these people were was like really crucial because I mean I was exactly. in the um, I was in the Mesa Court housing area and I was I was talking to a lot of people by the Ant Eatery and uh, a lot of them didn't even really know who any of these people were so I the most important part for us was not only reaching them through the issues the issue was the key 
Um, but but the lock was unlocking who their knowledge, like figuring out, like, hey, do you guys know who Mimi Walters is? Do you know she's the incumbent? Do you know who Katie Porter is? Do you know what any of these people stand for? And once I started talking to them, they were all really psyched about wanting to get out and vote for Katie Porter. So and yeah, that's that's one of the uh, glories to take away from the work that we did was getting able to inform and educate people on not only who the candidates were, what was going on, what the propositions were, you know where your polling stations were and everything. And I guess I'd I'd like to know then are you approaching I mean I know people that are just 18 19 this is this is a new record but did you get a, an impression of how many of them were already intention uh, habitual voters that were that were had voted before or were you tapping into a whole new bit of talent? I mean generally because a lot of the people that I associated with were freshmen, since a lot of the canvassing I okay, did was in the freshman dorms, and they were pretty new voters. Um, wow. And even you will find, even in general, with more of the upperclassmen are new voters, because a lot of them either didn't really want to exercise that right or um, didn't have the time to. Voting is a very complex and excruciating process. It really is. So, so for those of you that have just joined us you're listening to ask a leader on radio kuci 88.9 fm in irvine we're all over the media uh, with our other social media platforms my guests are brooke adams organizing director for student action with people's action institute and organizing students lorraine nance and cass yip and we're talking about the four court press all over anteaterdom here to get an amazing turnout. So I, um, I've i got uh, the update I have, the tabulations for the 45th, that uh, Katie Porter won by, she won uh, with 158,906 votes, Walters with 146,383 votes. That's over a little over 52%, 47.9%. Those are amazing numbers. You actually outpolled other congressional candidates, except for Mike Levin in the the 49th, um, you outpolled every everybody in otherwise in Orange County as well as most around the state, except for some of the lopsided some of the lopsided ones. Somebody who wins 80 percent, they may have gotten more votes than Katie Porter did. So that that was phenomenal. Did you see that coming, Brooke? Um, you know what? I had a feeling that we were in a good place to win this race, but I also did not want to leave anything to chance because. You know, as all of you know, this is the first time that this district has gone blue in decades. Um, so, you know, we were really pushing hard till the last minute. And I think, you know, really we're counting on every single person we could get out to vote and did not know how close it would be. Um, but I did have a good feeling, yeah. So, and you, uh, I noticed that, um, that from yesterday, Neil Kelly, the Registrar of Voters, was interviewed on another radio platform, and he said 71% of registered voters turned out in Orange County. So that... That has to be a whole lot happening in the 45th. Yeah, that is super exciting. And we actually um, found out that at UC Irvine itself, the turnout increased from 4% in 2014, which is just super low, yep. Um, yep. to 31% um, this past year, which is a huge improvement. Huge. And a lot of that, I think, is just because of our, like, really hard push to engage students around the issues and organize a program that got people really excited about the bold stances that Katie was taking. So what I wanted to find out was how much energy did you give down ticket when you were engaging students? Meaning, <laughs> I don't know about the city races, but we, we there's a state assembly person. I mean, how, how much of that did you incorporate into there? Because that's your farm team for the elections that you'd be participating in the future. Lorraine? Definitely. I mean, for our team, definitely hustling was the theme. So we wanted Up and to, down the ballot. Definitely. We wanted to bring lots of energy. We wanted to bring lots of excitement. We wanted people to see that this is something that they should be energetic and enthusiastic about. Um, in fact, we brought so much energy that we had about 27,181 attempts, canvassing attempts, which resulted in 9,132 conversations and 3,830 positive IDs. And amongst that, we collected 2,509 commit-to-vote cards for Katie Porter. Wow. Those, those numbers just really blow us out, out of our, uh, our ever-loving minds when we think about that over the years. So what impressions have you, the, to the best of your 
you know, consideration that we have, you've now spawned some voters that are committed to continue turning out to the polls every single election, special and general, mid-season, primary, mid midterm and everything. I feel like we definitely um, we definitely generated a lot of excitement for the future. Um, I know we as a uh, as a group, California Student Action, um, we are not just here for the election. We're here for the long term. We're here as a movement. We're here to continue this for um, for as long as it can and long as we can um, until we get free college for all until we reach that ultimate goal. We want to make this um, accessible for everyone. And we generated a lot of excitement for the future. I feel like a lot of people are going to be committed voters in the future. A lot of them didn't even really realize how important this was to them. They didn't? They didn't. No, they did not. Well, that's hard to keep a straight face when you <laughs> encounter that. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> incredible how many people. And so really, uh, midterm elections tend to have, like, your local elections, they tend to have, like, the lowest voter turnout. And so for us to get they so just many do. people. Not even 10, yeah. Yeah. For so many people, for us to have gotten so many people excited about voting in the midterm and it was it was it was a really thrilling experience to be able to get so many people excited for this. Yeah, Lorraine. Yeah, definitely, and that's why we're working really hard to get to make student action uh, organization here on campus, so that we can continue doing the work that we do on a more organic level, so that we can continue to reach out to more students and see how we can develop this further on down the road. And as Cass mentioned, we're not trying to only have activism around election times or when it's important. We're trying to continue the momentum that we have right now and continue the work that we do and continue the outreach that we have. Because it's not only important around election time. It's important 24-7. Yep, it's not seasonal. Democracy is not seasonal. One (laughs) person I remember tweeted about two and a half, three weeks ago. So so I'm curious, you're navigating some potentially kind of fraught zone here with undocumented students. There are quite a few on UCI's campus. So did you encounter some and you needed to figure out how not to out them, but they they are definitely a really motivated political class, but they're not able to participate quite. I mean, they can, they can to some extent. So what, what were your experiences with approaching undocumented students? Absolutely. We did encounter quite a number of undocumented students as, as UCI is very, um, welcomes them with open arms. And even though that they couldn't vote, like a lot of them didn't com- didn't outright say they were undocumented, but they hit it, hinted at it. And honestly, one of our, they are a huge group that we are targeting in terms of we, we want to help them. We want college to be free and affordable and more open to undocumented students, everybody from all different backgrounds. And even though they couldn't vote, a lot of them were really, they really wanted to get involved, whether it was amongst just their friends telling them to get out and vote, um, or if it was with us, we had uh, we had volunteers from all over um, come in. And during election day, we worked for like the entire day from 6.45 in the morning to the end of the day. And we had people come in after being canvassed to help call actually one of our um one of our canvassers actually brought in i think like six or seven different people from just canvassing that's phenomenal that really is yeah to add on to what they were saying yes definitely encountered um students that weren't weren't undocumented or said "I, i simply just can't vote and i said well that's okay you still have a voice and I appreciate that voice. That voice matters, you know, because even just because you cannot vote does not mean that you still can't exercise your political voice. And so in that case, I said, hey, we're looking to start an organization here on campus. Do you want to come to our meetings? You know, go in there, voice your opinions because your opinion matters and it could help us further on down the road. And that's that's all of what student action is all about. You know, I, I just have to call out the irony with a, a DACA friend of mine in Orange County and she canvasses before elections and and she's incredulous when she encounters people who don't plan on voting at all and then eventually she'll she'll figure out how to time it but she may volunteer that she is undocumented and then and and, and she still has to work on what is the hook to get that person to vote because she can't so well, I want to, I don't know. I mean, this is your chance. Just to, is there, are there any stories, any encounters you want to tell us you had? Because everybody who canvasses, we all have stories. Oh, man, there's so many stories. So start with your two favorite. Ooh. Okay. Or Cass, does they have anything? 
so I mean I definitely I definitely encountered some people that I felt were really um, interested in fact like one of the people one of the people that um, I consider my uh, my favorite was yes someone that I encountered by accident I wasn't in count I wasn't canvassing actually I was sitting in uh, Pete's coffee and I was um, I asked I asked this uh, woman if I could sit next to her um, or sit across the table from her since there weren't any other spaces since I needed somewhere to plug in my laptop so I could continue uh, phone banking which is basically when we call um, people we are have already touched on um, and so she said yes and so I just I continued phone banking and I was phone banking and calling people and calling people and reading my um, hello hey are you blah 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 um, are you voting are you registered to vote and everything and the woman across from me um, she actually she actually took her headphones off and started listening to me and then she started talking to me she said you know like what are what are you doing and I, I explained to her who we are, who um, California Student Action is, what our goals were for free college and what, our, um, what we were trying to do here on campus. And she seemed really interested. So I continued talking to her and actually I recruited her for the future. She wasn't even able to vote. She was an international student. But she said, I respect so much what you guys are doing here and I feel like it's so important. So I actually brought her on and she's going to be working with us in the future. All right. Oh, my story is basically I was outside the Ant Eatery um, during Election Day. We were um, trying to get out the vote, you know, encouraging people to go vote, go to the polls. Do you know where you're going? Do you know where your polls are? And one of the workers from Mesa Court, she came up to me and she was like, are you are you out here, you know, telling people to vote? I said, yes. And she was like, well, I missed it. She missed the registration deadline. So she's like, I, but I really, really, really want to vote. And I said, well, you well. can do provisional voting. There is provisional voting. So if basically if you miss the registration deadline, it's this thing called provisional voting that you can um, continue to get your ballot in and get your vote in. And I told her, I said, when I'm done with my shift, I will come back. I'll walk you through the steps. I'll walk you through all the prop- propositions and explain them to you. And we can fill out your ballot together. So, wow. So do you get the impression, Lorraine, that your that was a that was a lift you had to go through all of that personally and go throughout the, the whole ballot but does, is your impression that this person is starting to own a bit more of this electoral process definitely i feel especially when you see how the political climate has been developing increasing lately we're seeing more and more people wanting to get involved because there has been an emphasis on how much politics affect you um especially with the recent presidency people are starting to see how much they are affected by you know these policies and they're wanting to make a change they're wanting to know what can i do you know to protect myself and um it's honestly something that's really amazing to see unfold one it's a very it's it's sort of a not a consequential demographic, but it might have been in some ways. So for international students, they're not eligible to vote, but they could. Did some of them decide? Oh, I'll go on do some phone banking, or did did you get some to step up? Oh, absolutely, really, um, absolutely. Like as I mentioned, like the girl that I met in Pete's Coffee, she was international. Okay, not undocumented. Okay, she, yeah. She, yeah, she was an international student. She's like, even though I can't vote, she wanted to be a part okay, of this. Okay, okay. She not only wanted to help phone bank, but she wanted to join us as a um, organization. And in fact, we are starting a um, a legit organization here on What's campus. What's it called? It's going to be called Student Action at UCI. So we are hoping to get this started by winter quarter. And if you are interested, we're going to be having you know weekly meetings and everything so we're going to be having social events as as Lorraine is our social chair um I am the acting president for this organization moving forward um so it's exciting so there's just a little person in me that wants to sort of take measure of this is a democratic workshop you had and some of those international students are going to go to not very democratic countries and you have planted an amazing little seed. I'm not calling it a germ, folks. It's a seed. And it'll be very interesting to know what international students on UCI's campus and around the country that were activated, they're not going to be recognizable when they go back to their other countries. Brooke, did you also get, uh, was that palpable to you? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, we actually had a, a big number of international students on our Canvas team itself. Wow. Um, and, you know, I think part of it is that this issue that we're working on really does appeal 
um, to people from a variety of different groups, including international students. I think there's a narrative out there that, you know, international students are all well off and can afford tuition, and that's actually not true. You know, there are a lot of folks who are struggling. Like, we had one person on our team whose own mother could not drop her off at college um, because of some of Trump's immigration laws. Oh my um, gosh. So I think, like, you know, our issue work really spoke to a broad lens and a broad appeal. And because of that, there were folks who were really activated around this race who may not have been otherwise. Um, to add on to that, this is Lorraine. Sorry. To add on to that, definitely, I wouldn't say that they won't be recognizable when they go back to the other countries, but politics differ where well, wherever let's say you their are. Their DNA was edited. <laughs> and um, the truth of the matter is, when you're in America, you're affected by American politics. And as a political science major, one of the things we learn is that people are going to be initiated or activated politically when their identity is threatened, whatever that identity may be. It could be race, ethnicity, gender, whatever. And in the moments, they feel like their identities are being threatened and they want to do something to protect it. I, yes, can, I can definitely relate to that personally. As an Asian American, as a trans student, I started feeling really hopeless with what was going on in our current political climate. So I can totally, totally um, relate to that. That's actually how I was activated, as you say. And I'm so. a black woman. We all know how that be. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I wish I could have been around to watch some of those encounters because it's for the people that are new to politics and canvassing for the first time, they didn't know... They weren't convinced that they were making any inroads, but every campaign I've ever witnessed and actually participated in, they say that canvassing is the most effective tool. It is. And so uh, I would love to have seen how it worked out here. So we're going to close with uh, all three of you what you think is going to be what the, the electoral turnout process will look like two years from now when we have... A presidential election. To what extent do you think we've got something special going on that's going to stick here on the campus? Oh man, I feel like that <laughs> is going to be an exciting, an exciting election. Um, considering how many people were so pumped and energized for this current, like midterm election, to see what the turnout will be in two years for the next presidential election. But you'll be gone. I w- I will I will be gone from UCI, but I will still be involved. You'll be somewhere. Um, I, I actually plan on returning to UCI as a graduate student, oh, so okay. I may still be here. I may. Sorry, everybody. I, I might be around to stay. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> Lorraine? Definitely. I feel that if you look at the voter turnout increase that we've able to muster, I feel like that momentum will continue to grow and even increase larger um, come this next 2020 election for the presidency. And I do feel like people are going to vote for the candidate that best represents their views and what they want to see change, Um, especially since we are a founding organization here. We will definitely continue that momentum, as we mentioned many times before. Well, let's have you back. Let's come. Let's come have you check in when you've got something special going on, definitely. or you've got uh, some sort of development, some sort of measure to take. So let's get you back on here, and I because I'm I'm begging students always to talk about the electoral process on Ask a Leader on this platform. So, and Brooke, what about your projection for the 2020 participation and turnouts? Yeah, I absolutely agree about the potential. And I think in a lot of ways, this election actually should leave a really strong message um, for any Democratic candidates who want support in California, which is that I think like candidates really do have to take actually bold stances. Like even in one of the most conservative counties in California, um, it did flip blue and students came out and voted. And part of that is because Katie Porter took um, really progressive stances on a lot of issues. And I actually think turnout would have been even higher at UCI um, if she had taken a hard-line stance in support of free college for all people. Um, so we're still trying to work on that. And I think, you know, for 2020, the more Democratic candidates are down to get with us on our agenda, the more folks are going to be willing to come out and turn out. Well, I'm going to say that I think we're going to, there's going to be more collaboration that way, that I, it's a new day. As Speaking as a, a, a radio journalist, I have much more access to both the 45th and the 48th congressional offices. They are 
putting me in touch with people. They're very responsive online. So, ladies, I and friends and friends here, I I want to thank Brooke Adams, organizing director for Student Action, People's Action Institute, Lorraine Nance, and Cast Yip. Thank you for taking the time to be on, and thanks for really producing for this whole season. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Okay. And thank you, Brooke, out there. Thank you so much. We'll be right back after a short station break, and we're going to bring up Mark Tabbert and Kathy Orlinski. They've got lots to talk about the Citizens Climate Lobby News. Be right back. Thanks for staying tuned, everybody. That's a Lambrena, and it's a lovely fusion of the African continent with Johann Sebastian Bach. Thanks for staying tuned for my second segment. I'm so happy to bring back Citizens Climate Lobby activist Kathy Orlinski and Mark Tabert to weigh in about the recent electoral outcomes, pending legislation, and the latest climate assessment. Maybe we can even bring out the... Uh, the COP24 that's happening right now, right here, uh, right over there in Poland. Uh, so Kathy Orlinski joined Citizens Climate Lobby in December 2015 as the co-founder of the Orange County Central Chapter, which meets every month in Mission Viejo. She's a Southern California coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby and chairperson of the phenomenal Citizens Climate Lobby Southern California Regional Conference that was held last spring at Cal State LA. It was quite a great program. Mark Tabbert, her, my other guest, whom I've introduced many times now on Ask a Leader, is the co-founder of the Newport Beach area chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby. He's responsible for spawning new chapters around Orange County. Both of them join me in studio. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Kathy Orlinski and Mark Tabbert. Hi, thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. Well, we've got a lot of cover, so let's hit this. So lots has happened. What a difference yes. five to six months makes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Since the June primary and then the, the, the midterm, the general. So what um, were, were you involved in any of the midterm? I saw you actually, Kathy, at a lot of places in the, the leading up to the midterm elections. But as a citizen's climate lobby person? or as uh, No, no. A citizen's climate lobby is completely nonpartisan and bipartisan. So we work to form relationships with everyone. Okay. We form relationships. We have relationships with our current members of Congress. And we also reached out to all of the candidates as well um, to form relationships with everybody there. And in fact, uh, one of our local chapters had a forum where they invited all the candidates, Republicans and Democrats, to come and talk about climate and it was very successful, and it was a bipartisan event. So let's start with the role. You've got a new composition in the House of Representatives. So with the Climate Caucus, the Congressional Climate Caucus, then you have some Republicans that were voted out, and as you bring them into the caucus, they come in pairs, one from each party. So you're going to have to start with zero or do you start with 20 or how many uh what's the caucus look like at this point mark we actually we actually start with 20 uh in the last time the congress changed we started with six you know the the population dropped but really the most important thing now is not the new congress to us it's the current congress there is a bill that's been introduced just last wednesday it's called the um, it's the it? Energy, Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act, right. EICDA. <laughs> this, this Let's talk. Bill, I, that's a main thing right now. Okay. This is a bill that relies in a great extent by our language. We, all, we didn't write it, but we had a tremendously important part in it. It's almost exactly what we would support. In fact, we do exactly all, support it. It does. It does. Okay. No, it's, it's, it's a, the Venn diagram is a circle. And if, if people out in this radio listening today want to help on climate change let anybody you know in the country know about that that name energy innovation and carbon dividend act it's, it's hr house resolution 7173 and so okay. if people know about that if if the public knows and lets congress know we can drive this change quicker next year okay. than especially now that we have 40 new or 42 new democrats all right since you're talking about the current composition of congress so who in the 45th is buying in uh, who in the in Orange County? Well, every 39th, 45th, 48th, 49th. 
so far this bill has uh, six co-sponsors. It was only introduced a few days ago. That's right. That's right. So it's very new. And uh, actually, it originally had two Republicans and three Democrats. And just since the introduction, it's already added another Republican. So considering that we're in the lame duck period, we're very pleased with that. We're obviously going to try to add more co-sponsors. But, um, you know, the fact that we're already adding more people and that it's a completely bipartisan bill is one of its strongest points. But just to reiterate what Mark was saying, we're just extremely pleased with this bill. You know, one of our main criteria on at Citizens Climate Law, well, our mission is to solve this climate crisis. And we need a strong bill with teeth. We need something that will actually be effective at doing that. And this bill is effective. Um, that's one of the number one reasons why we love it so much. Uh, this bill reduces emissions faster than the Clean Power Plan would have done. We expect 40% reduction within 12 years. And so this is a bill that can really take us where we need to go. But it has a lot of other important selling points as well. Okay. And the original two sponsors or of the two of the three Two of them are from Florida, one from Pennsylvania. They're they're registering. I remember earlier clamorings that they, they understand that the climate change, it's a palpable kind of condition where their constituents reside. So, but can you take the uh, the two Republicans, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Francis Rooney is also a Republican Florida, maybe having them talk with the, the 45th, have a little conversation, or you do the talking. Well, actually, I had a meeting last week with a member of Congress, a retired member of Congress, who thinks that the Orange County Democrats, and now I'm talking to the people, this, I, I'd love them to hear this. His suggestion is the Orange County Democrats, Orange County Democrats call themselves the Orange Donkeys, after the Democratic symbol donkeys. And they could lead on this issue on a national basis if they, if they banded together and work on this. And... Uh, some of the members of Congress that got elected in Orange County are big, big supporters of climate change action. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think most of them had climate on their um, platforms in one way or another, and several of them made it one of their top issues. Certainly Levin, Mike Levin, um, and Harley Ruda talked about it very strongly, um, but most of the others did as well. So, you know, we do anticipate support. Uh, on this ish, strong support on this issue after January. But even the current group that are outgoing, um, most of them were on the uh, Climate Solutions Caucus. So th this area that we know that people do care about climate in this part of the country. So that's the first marching orders, House Resolution 7173. And I Want, uh, for those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Citizens Climate Lobby activists Mark Tabert and Kathy Orlinsky. We're talking about the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. So d I, I, did you see the, this, this draft legislation coming, or was this sort of like, wow? Um, I didn't. <laughs> Seriously? We actually had two bills we thought would be introduced this year, but both of them failed to get introduced. So that was told to us when we were there in November. Oh, yeah, wow. Um, that was just last month? Yes, we were all in, there were 620, I think, of us in Washington for yes. our November conference. Okay. Well, Which is our second one. We had, I don't know how many, 23,000 in June that were in Washington. But So, any updates from your meeting in, in yeah. D.C.? We, we're the largest fly-in group in the country for any cause. Anti-abortion, pro-abortion, Guns. Nobody else sends more people into Washington than we do all at one time, like we do. And you all take and a we bus do it in there, June, the low carbon bus. <laughs> okay. So, and but anything. Um, so this was just after the election, right? It was so. The, the so first that seismic wave had happened. So that must have been a little different time and place to be. We were there immediately after Trump got elected, and we were immediately there. We were the first group to be in Washington the week after uh, this last election. And, and, and our message this time around to the people in that we were meeting with, we met with over 400 offices in November. In June, it was over 500 offices. So like Mark said, you know, we're the only group that meets 
with everybody consistently. And our message to offices that we met with this time around, members of Congress and their staff, is that we want to make climate a bridge issue and not a wedge issue. And what that means is we know that people care about this issue. If you go to polls, not just in blue states, not just Democrats, but everyone, the majority of people in every part of the country, every demographic, they all care about climate. So people, we can come together on this. And what this new legislation, the Energy Innovation and Climate Dividend Act does exactly that. You have Democrats and Republicans coming together to make a strong bill to solve this climate crisis. People respond to the word dividend. (laughs) Correct? That's right. That was the idea. That's right. Every economist that talks about climate change solutions stresses the fact that dividend is the most important part. Yeah. You've got to give the money back to the people. The, The riots they're having in France right now are partially caused or largely caused by the fact that they're taking money out of everybody's hand. Or they're in a, it was they're a raising zero the price sum. for fossil fuels. Yeah, right. But that really hurts the poorer people because there's no revenue going back to the poor people to cushion them. It turns out rich people burn a lot more carbon than poor people do. So if you return the money that you collect from government, if you re- from oil companies, if you return that money to people, then pe- the poor people at the bottom are, are protected from that, from that, from that blow. And the, and the rich people have money... They can adjust, and they also don't feel the they don't feel that cost that much. So we'll have to watch. I guess it, I hope it have it has its own hashtag, the the dividend act, so that um, we can yes, see uh, how people keep signing on a sponsor for this. Uh, price on pollution is the hashtag that people are using on Twitter and other social media. Price on pollution, and that is a hashtag that the sponsors of the bill liked, and um, you know we like it too. <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, we can uh, keep tracking that. Well, the the fourth climate assessment we had, I don't know if that was followed your after your meetings in D.C. in November. So is there a citizen's climate lobby kind of use of the, the fourth national assess, climate assessment as a talking point? Um, somewhat, but honestly, this assessment, um, the IPCC report that came right. out not long before that, they're just telling us more of what we already know. But they, but they adjusted though the the predictions. They're more dire. So yes. the urgency of this act being passed is now it should be of greater concern. I think that that is true. But people who find it to be dire find it much worse, and people. You know, I don't think saying that it's this much dire actually persuades people. We already we need to the science is not unfortunately, you know, and I have a scientific background, of course, but science is not persuasive to people. Relationships are persuasive. Personal stories are persuasive. So while we do use that information somewhat, talking more about solutions you know, empowers people, things they can do to get involved, you know, and again, you know, we now have a bill that uh, um, will cut emissions. It's good for people. It's going to save lives because, you know, thousands, tens, tens of thousands of people die from climate related issues, whether directly or indirectly, heat, fire, disease, all those kind of things. And the fact that it's a bridge issue, it's nonpartisan. So these are a lot of things that can bring people together and make them realize there is a path out of this. Because if you don't give people a solution, if you don't give them a path out of it, then it doesn't matter how dire it is. Then they feel disempowered. Or they feel like, well, what doesn't matter? Right. If it's that dire. Okay. Mark? Well, I was going to say, I think the fires in California and the storms we've had in the last few years are driving the public more than the scientific reports, sort of confirming what Kathy just said. Literally and figuratively, driving people out and, yeah, driving up the ante. But what I'd like to stress is yes. that the vast majority of Americans understand climate change is a problem we should deal with, and yet we have a party that still is represented by people that deny the science. Okay. So now we have a bill that's bipartisan in nature, and if we if we let Congress know we want action, if we if that's that's the real thing. We don't need to worry about our carbon footprint so much right now. What we need to do is let Congress know that we want something done. They have the power. So do you have appointments made with the meeting with congressional offices right here in Orange County? 
I have an appointment in my uh, chapter with uh, Harley Ruda. Okay, uh, with the uh, incoming next week. And so he, when is he? He's not sworn in yet. They are sworn in early no, January. Get, yeah, beginning of January. The very beginning. Okay, so, but you were talking about your incumbents when you were mentioning this. So they they could vote on this, but although resolutions, they have they can during they can go from one session into the next depending on the timing that they're introduced. Correct. Um, so this actually, moves this, through. This one is not going to move through. It's not a resolution. It's actually legislation. It's a bill. So oh, HR, but a bill. Okay. So, yeah, exactly. So it will need to be reintroduced sometime next year, and and we anticipate that that will happen. Several okay. of the several of the main sponsors are going to be in the next Congress, uh, and we anticipate that they will want to bring this up again in the next Congress. So you know, while we are working to bring on co-sponsors, and that's helpful, especially amongst people who are going to be moving through. That this session is going to be ending within the next couple of weeks. Well, why not approach incumbents around Orange County with this is a crowning achievement? Go out on a supporting this. Get your name in here. Get your name sponsoring this. Isn't that a, that's a bridge, isn't it? I think that's a great idea. <laughs> you already thought of that, but I, it just seems like you know, this is, give them a, give them chances. What I'd like to see the Democrats do is do what CCL has been doing, Citizens Climate Lobby has been doing, and that's reach out to the other party. We need to do with climate change what we did with the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act, the EPA, were all instituted during the Republican administration. And they passed by votes of like 400 to 35 every time. And we need that kind of bipartisan support. We need the country to move because if the country moves along the lines of this bill, then that means the world moves because we have a way to bring the other governments in behind us by putting tariffs at the border if they don't follow our lead. Okay, we've got to close, wrap really fast. Any marching orders besides tending to the, the Carbon Dividend Act? Any any other last-minute things or in a quick event that um, people yeah, I'll, po- with? I'll say a quick event. I want to thank you for mentioning our conference last year. We're coming oh, back good. around again. Last weekend in February, same place, Cal State LA, the 23rd and 24th of February. Uh, tickets are not available yet, but will be soon. And you can go to ccl.socal.eventbrite.org uh, when it opens up. And that okay. should be within the next week or February two. February 23rd, 24th. Correct. Okay. Very good. If you just go to Citizens Climate Lobby, you'll find it. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you, Kathy Orlinski and Mark Tabbert, local Citizens Climate Lobbyists who are activists that are, well, you're bringing, I'll call it, a political flair and literacy, and cl- political flair, climate literacy to all of us. Thanks again for coming in studio, joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Claudia. Great to be here as always. Okay, it's always good. Well, that was my wrap. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Now, back to the ongoing video stream, 24 Hours of Reality, out of Poland and around the world.